Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. God's power is really on display in these chapters as we see the Ark of the Covenant um, in the camp of Israel and we see it arrive and the people are rejoicing. They're so happy that the Ark has arrived and they think that the Ark is their deliverance and they have, in many ways, as we mentioned, put God in a box. Now, God's power was certainly associated with the Ark. We don't want to downplay that whatsoever. The Ark was a sacred object. It was in the Holy of Holies. It's where God said that he would meet with Moses. And so we don't want to downplay that. But what happened to the people is that they were living contrary to God's ways. And then they were relying on just calling upon God's power through the object, through a religious object, if you will. And God did not come through for them. As a matter of fact, thousands of Israelite uh, soldiers died in, the, in a couple of different battles that were mentioned. And the ark was captured. And on the flip side, you see the Philistines, and I I was listening to a message uh, recently, and I think Philistines means means the invaders, and the invaders came, and they not only won the battle, even though they were scared of the ark coming into the camp, and they associated the ark with God, but the, the ark was actually captured by the Philistines, and they took the ark back into Philistine territory, and they put it in the temple of Dagon. And uh, we, we got a good laugh out of some of the Dagon passages because we know what happened. The ark was placed next to the statue or the idol of Dagon and Dagon was the fish god, half man, half god. And of course the, the priest came in the morning, first thing in the morning and Dagon was down on his face in front of the ark and that was pretty funny. And then Dagon became a broken worshiper, which is what the Bible actually calls for because His hands broke off, his head broke off, and he was laying prostrate the second day before the Ark of the Covenant. And we know what that message was. The God of Israel is the true God. Dagon is a false deity. Anybody who worships him is going to be broken like him. And there's a message there. God will not uh, give his glory to another. All other gods will bow before him, if you will, with a small g. As a matter of fact, we saw in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we're talking about the power of God. You can't box the power of God. You can't control the power of God. But you can tap into the power of God. Now you cannot tap into the power of God for your purposes though. Because people in our day, you may well know, are always talking into tapping into power. And sometimes this has new age connotations. See, we want the power, so we're going to tap into the power for our purposes. And so, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, there's uh, Simon, and he sees that through the laying on of hands, there's the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And he says, man, I want some of that. I'm, I'm willing to give some of my money for that. And your money perish with you. You can't buy the gift of God with money. You can't control God. If you want to tap into God's power, if you want to experience God's power, you've got to be on God's page. He's not going to give you His power without you wanting to accomplish His will. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what? 
my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you want power, if you want God's power, you must do it God's way. You must follow his plan. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You want to tap into the power? Share the gospel. Because the gospel already is imbued and filled with the power of God. It has inherent power in it. In 1 Corinthians, if you turn there, chapter 1, if you want to experience the power of God, you've got to be on the page of God. And in 1 Corinthians 1, God identifies how his power is manifested through Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24. But those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is what? He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you turn to chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians verse 5, it says that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on what? The power of God. If you go to 2 Corinthians, the next book to your right, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, we're talking about the power of God, how it is manifest. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7 says, In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to put on the full armor of God that we might take our stand. The power is found in the presence of God. If you want the power of God, you've got to experience the presence of God. The presence of God is manifested through his Holy Spirit. And of course, we are seeing verses that talk about Jesus' work in our lives. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 7, Paul says something remarkable. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power, or my power, some of the versions say, is perfected where? In weakness, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. See, the power of God is often manifested when we are in touch with our weaknesses. That might sound counterintuitive. But in the kingdom of God, things are the opposite. And when you are most dependent on God and most realizing your need for his power, that's when he shows up. Not when you have your chest out, not when you think you got it all under control. His power is tapped into by humility. And it's something that's hard for us to learn because we live in a society that celebrates uh, you know, someone who's independent and powerful as an individual. But God says, if you want my power, here's how you get it. I am opposed to the proud, but I give what? I give grace to the humble. And grace is often a synonym for God's power. If you go to 2 Timothy, just keep turning to your right, chapter 1, in verse 8, Paul says these words. 
For God, let's go back to verse 7, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me as prisoner, but, bo- but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Indeed, the Bible even says that we can suffer for the gospel by God's power. That God's power can be manifested even there. And then finally, if you turn all the way to 1 Peter, towards the back of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes these words in verse 5. Let's go to, back to verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter one four, First Peter one four, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you want God's power in your life? I think everybody does. These are the ways that God's power is reflected in the life of a Christian. Now, with that in mind. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 6. That's where we are tonight. God's holiness, God's power, God's glory. 1 Samuel chapter 6. What is God's holiness? God's holiness is his otherness. It means that he is separate. It means that he is high above. Although he will give you or set you apart to make you holy as he is holy. As a matter of fact, that's what he wants for you to be separated, if you will, to, for you to be set aside or set apart for his power to move through you as a vessel. God's holiness. God's glory is his manifest presence, and it often manifests itself in the uh, tabernacle and then the temple, <clears throat> excuse me, associated with the Ark of the Covenant. And God's power is the Greek word for dynamic and even dynamite. It is dunamis, right? It's a dynamic power. It's an other power. In fact, you'd have to say that when the power of God is released in a life, it is something that is outside of human ability. Now, God can take your giftedness and use it, but what he often does is he'll put us in places where we have nothing to offer, so it can be completely dependent on his power. I've shared with you many times, public speaking was something I absolutely hated. I stayed home on oral report day, acted like I was sick, so I didn't have to stand in front of a group of people and speak to them, because I didn't want everybody looking at me. <laughs> the fear of public speaking is the, like the number two fear, close to the fear of death. It really is. Now, that's all I do, right? So God has his ways of taking us, you know, sometimes you might think as a Christian, I'm out of my comfort zone, and I would just say, good. (laughs) Good, but it's not comfortable here. I know. Good, because you know what it's going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to pray. You're going to pray something like this? Help! Help, Reggie! Something like that. Sorry, that dated all of us, but... (laughs) Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now, the ark of the Lord, 1 Samuel 6, 1. 
had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. Wow, that's a long time. The ark was captured and it was under uh, Philistine control for seven months. Now, some of you see the number seven and you think, there's something there. Yeah, you know what it was? The Philistines were done. They were done. Because you remember, last time we were together, we saw the ark making a circuit, right? First Dagon went down, they, they tried to super glue him together, set him back up in his place, and they tried to get the ark out of there. And the ark started making a circuit to different Philistine cities. And as it made the circuit, bad things were happening. And they passed it on to the next city and to the next city. And then it came to Ekron and the people said, no, please, get that thing out of here. We don't want it here. And God was being victorious over the Philistines as the ark moved from city to city and tumors were showing up on the people. It was ugly. And I had mentioned to you that the the Hebrew word for tumors means swellings and some of you know that some of the versions say emrods and some say the word can mean hemorrhoids. I don't know. I won't be dogmatic on it, but it's possible that Philistine leaders were walking around funny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Let you wrestle with the Hebrew there. But there were a lot of uncomfortable people in Philistine country. That's all I can tell you. And the Lord was taking care of business. I'm going to leave that alone because there's a lot of places I could go, but I'm going to leave that alone. Seven months. It went on. Now, you might be asking tonight, well, what is the Ark? What does the Ark of the Covenant really represent? I mean, how serious of an object was this? How much should we tie this to God? Well, first of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you can see that um, when the Ark left, there's, a, there's an incredible picture given. 1 Samuel 4, verse 21. As the, this mom is giving birth now, she called the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because, 1 Samuel 4.21, the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, notice the repetition, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. Now this, this picture is, you've heard the idea of Ichabod and the glory is going away. It's been taken away. They definitely associated the glory of God with the Ark of the Covenant. Way back in Exodus, if you turn there for a second, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 25, God gives instructions to Moses and he tells him to build the Ark. This is uh, Exodus 25 in verse 16. Exodus 25, 16. And you shall put into the Ark of the Testimony, put into the Ark the Testimony which I shall give you, 25, 17. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Those are the angels that you've seen in the ark depicted. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make And make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And the cherubim, verse 20, shall have their wings spread upward covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat 
And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give to you. And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will, about all that I will give you in the commandment for the sons of Israel. Here's the deal. God said, that is the place that I will meet you. That object was holy. Now, the object in and of itself was not God, but it represented the presence of God. And in Revelation 11, there's an interesting verse. The heavens are opened, and there's, a, there's an open door, if you will, to see heaven, and the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. Maybe Steven Spielberg was right. Actually, he didn't make the Ark go all the way back up to heaven, but you remember the scene, right? All the Nazis are wiped out. You know, remember those scenes? It's wonderful, wonderful film. And, and everything flies up in the air, and then, of, of course, the lid of the ark, boom, goes back down. There's even some conjecture that, you know, of all these uh, programs on television where the ark is allegedly located, there are some people that argue that maybe the ark is back in heaven. Revelation 11:19. look at it later, you will see that the ark does appear in the book of Revelation, just as the second coming events are occurring in Revelation. Interesting. So this is, this is the object that's at the heart of these chapters. So in 1 Samuel, if you go back there, chapter 6, verse 2, the Philistines, seven months was definitely enough for them. So they're trying to figure out what to do now. So the Philistines could have been the lords of the Philistines here, the leaders of the five cities we mentioned last week. 1 Samuel 6, 2, called for the priests and the diviners. They called for the religious leaders, those who were picking up Dagon and all that. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. Now we want it out of here, but we'd like some advice because bad things are happening in our cities, in our towns, and to our people. Tell us, what's your suggestion, guys? Now you need to understand that because the... Um, ark was captured and put into the temple of their God and these bad things happened to their God, what they have to admit now is that they've suffered a defeat, that their God is not stronger than the God of the Bible, than Yahweh. As a matter of fact, he's weaker and they've suffered a religious and political defeat. They've got to confess it and, and they're going to, much like the priests in Pharaoh's court have to finally acknowledge, <laughs> we're in trouble. We can't match the power of this God. And so they say, tell us. They call for the priests and the diviners. Just a side note. Divination is a word that you've probably heard before. It's the attempt to obtain hidden, veiled, or esoteric or secret knowledge. These diviners claim that they could uh, predict the future and, and they could do this by omen. So they looked for patterns of flights of birds. They would even uh, cut open an animal and look at its innards to see different things and try to read omens and things like that. And you've heard of some of the weird stuff that happens in some of these circles where an omen is given, right? Well, that's what the diviners did. They tried to figure out what the gods might be saying. And so they're called upon and they're asked, what should we do? How do we deal with uh, this particular uh, god or, or his holy object? Because it's killing our people everywhere. What should we do? People were crying in the towns. If you go back to chapter 5 and verse 10, 
5.10. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. This is the last recorded place we know it, it's located. And it happened as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the ark of God, the God of Israel, around to us to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly confusion throughout the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Notice this. And the men who did not die, so this was a radical judgment, were smitten with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Commentators have mentioned that there are many allusions, not illusions, but allusions, alluding to the story of the Exodus. And that, remember, when the final plague came upon the people of Egypt and there wasn't one household where somebody wasn't dead, there was a great cry that went up to heaven in Egypt. A great cry. And Pharaoh rose in the night, he and his servants, all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt. Every household had a dead person. And he said to Moses, rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. Go and worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said and go. And Pharaoh had to add this. And bless me also, would you please? And the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. That's Exodus 12, 30 through 33. Finally, even the Egyptians said, please let the Israelites leave and please, I hope their God goes with them. Because bad things have hap- been happening around here. Indeed, 10 plagues and they weren't pretty. They were judgments against the Egyptians and against their gods. And so they said in 1 Samuel 6, 3, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, now the priests and the diviners are talking, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him, would you notice, a guilt or trespass offering. Then, now I don't think they know what they're talking about, but they they say, then you shall be healed and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Okay, send the ark back, but send him some gifts. Send him some stuff. And you're going to see that what they send is these golden objects. And it reminds us of the people of Israel going out of Egypt. They were going with the gold of the Egyptians. The people were saying, here, take the dress, take the shoes, just go. Right? That's what was happening. And so we're going to make some stuff for this God. And in the ancient world, here's what they thought. They thought that the gods elevated themselves in pantheons by defeating other gods. And you had to appease the victorious. How about now? There we go. I don't even know what I was saying now. So the, the view of the, the ancients was you had to appease these gods who were the more powerful gods or the gods that were reigning at this time. And, and what you did is you gave them gifts. And sadly, sometimes they would even offer their firstborn to these gods. I want to appease the god of rain or the god of lightning or the god of crops, so I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. So this is the mindset. I don't know that they're acknowledging that the God of Israel is the true God, but they're certainly doing something that fits with their worldview. One's worldview is really how you approach not only living, but how you see your spiritual life. There are many people who pray. There are many people that think, if I can appease God in some way, then I'll get blessings. 
It's sold, by the way, on religious television week in and week out. Here's the formula. And if you can tap into what you want to get out of this God, it's sold and marketed everywhere, folks. It, there's people who are multimillionaires selling this stuff. Right? Just, just appease the God. Here, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. And all of a sudden you get everything you want. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, we can see the Ark of the Lord continues to be the focus, and the Ark of the Lord becomes a real, true reflection of the God of the Ark, the God of the Bible. He's a holy God, and when the Ark is not handled properly, or the Ark you know, goes into the Temple of Dagon, there's some serious business that goes on. The Ark was not even a guarantee for the victory of Israel. When Israel wasn't right with God, he dealt with them as well. See, God is no respecter of persons, and God is holy. This is one of the things that we must realize about the God of the Bible. He is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is just. He is righteous. You know, the Bible says he's a consuming fire. The Bible says he spoke the universe into existence. Just think about the power that that takes. He created DNA. He created the atom. He created the some six million forms of plants and animals and their diversity. He thought up color, reproduction. Um, you know, you go down the line, the self-healing of the body, the circulatory system. He's the awesome chemist. He's the awesome, you know, as one pastor put it, he breathes out stars. He calls them all by name. There are billions and billions of stars. He made angels. He made uh, humanity in his image. There's so much just power and majesty to the God of the Bible. He's the only way you can explain what we see, folks. This is the God of the Bible outside of time, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful man. He is it, and he is holy. And when he's not treated as holy, some radical things can happen, some bad things can happen, because he is just and righteous, and he dealt harshly with people who didn't treat him as holy. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.